This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, which can be found on page 835 in the Pew Bibles around you. If you're able, please join me and stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is alive, that it is active, it is powerful, It is able to conform us and confront us and shape us. God, this morning I ask as we open your word together, would you come with a spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus? God, would you set us on a trajectory to be those who are open to following in your ways? God, would you give us a supernatural grace this morning to be aligned around the things that matter to you? God, as a, as a church family, we just, we say yes. We want to be aligned with your heart. We want to obey what you have given us. We want to minister according to the grace that you have bestowed in Christ. God, would you meet us this morning? Grant grace upon the speaking and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' great and glorious name, amen. Amen. Hey, so we're, we're concluding our short little series uh, looking through our values together as a church. Uh, over the last two weeks, we've drilled into uh, our value for being a people of God's presence. And last week, we looked at being a people pursuing and longing for transformation. And this week, we're going to look at our final uh, core value together as a people uh, committed to movement and multiplication. And uh, the reason we're doing this is as we, as we look on the horizon uh, of what the Lord has for us as a spiritual family, as a church, 
We're asking the Lord uh, a lot of big questions about what's, what's in front of us, what's, what's next on the horizon. And uh, my big desire has been to gather us together as a family and try to get us on the same page according to uh, a shared value system, right? Like a vision of what we're moving toward or where we're going is only as uh, a potent as the way that it activates our desires and our affections towards things that matter and are valuable to us as a family. So we've been trying to get on the same page there together. Uh, And and today we're going to close our time out looking at uh, the idea of being a people oriented toward and pursuing multiplication and uh, to have the movement of the gospel uh, go out from us. So I'm going to just start right at Roman numeral 2. Uh, if you have the notes, the, the final motivational values that we have as a church family is related to movement through multiplication. And that's a really intentional word. The, the reason that we talk about movement and we don't just say mission and we're, we're not just using multiplication is a lot of times when we use some of those words, uh, we imp- infuse them with a lot of preconceived ideas. And what I mean when I say movement is simply this. I long for our church to have a desire to be the type of people where we would see a disciple-making movement emerge from within us. And a disciple-making movement is simply that we see disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? So it's, it's seeing generations of disciple-making happen within a family. It's not just about multiplication, meaning how, how big can we grow or how much impact can we see. It's, it's seeing a certain type of activation among the people of God to go and follow in obedience to the commission that Jesus has given us, to see disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So we believe that every encounter with God and all transformation, right? So every time we engage the presence of God, right, we experience the life-changing, renewing presence of the living God in Christ Jesus. And then when we are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next, tends toward some type of external expression, right? There's always latent within that encounter and within that transformation, a assignment from the hand of God to go and make disciples, to have external expression within that. So with our previous values, we have to be intentional and consistent in this to establish it as our effectual result, like what we long to see as the result of our labors together. How we, how we look at, are, are we moving toward the, the type of spiritual family that God's called us to be is, is going to be having eyes to see, are we active in the work of seeing disciples made and conformed into the image of Jesus? Letter D, to talk about movement is simply an attempt to set a trajectory towards becoming a disciple-making movement, not setting a vision for the size, meaning the numbers, or the scope, meaning like where we're called to or how big of an impact that's going to be, right? We want to be faithful where God has put us. Faithfulness is the goal, 
right? Faithfulness to walk in obedience to the things that Jesus has put in front of us will leave size and scope and measure of impact in his hands. He'll do that when he wants and how he wants. What we want to be is a people who lay hold of the vision of seeking to be intentional to make disciples wherever he's put us and in the places where we are. So that's the, that's the thrust of this value. Now, I want to look at the Great Commission, what we heard read, and just spend our time unpacking the Great Commission and talking about several things related to it. So I'm just going to read through Matthew 28, 18 to 20 again. And I want you to notice four things, four things in this text as we read it. And these are going to be the four things that I'm kind of working through today. Unfortunately, I'm not working through them like one, two, three, four. Uh, they're, they're going to be kind of a, a, a weave together. But I want you to notice these four things. Number one, I want you to notice where the Great Commission is situated. It's situated in the authority of Jesus, which means he is the king over the earth. Okay, he is the Lord, he's in charge. He has all authority granted to him and the commission that he has given is situated particularly in how he is expressing his kingship in the world. That's, that's what this is getting at and we'll, we'll look at that here in a minute. That's the first thing I want you to notice as we read this. The second thing I want you to notice as we read this is there's one assignment given. And that expresses itself in two concrete realities, right? The one assignment is make disciples, make disciples. That's the assignment that he's given. Now that happens in two ways. That is evangelism, go and make new disciples, bring them into the family and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second aspect is the ongoing discipleship build up disciples to grow in obedience to everything that I've taught. Build them up, strengthen them. So that's the second thing, one assignment in two realities. The third thing I want you to notice is that this requires the living presence of Jesus in the midst of the church. Okay? And we'll spend a lot of time with that. But this requires the living presence of Jesus in the church. This isn't something that Jesus told us to go do and then he's like, okay, break, run out and get after it and make sure that you're running hard after this and then I'll evaluate based on how you're doing. He goes, hey, this is what I want you to do. Go out and I am going to be with you because you can't do it apart from my presence. That's gonna be really important. That's the third thing. The fourth thing I want you to notice is that this is Jesus's strategy until he returns. Jesus's strategy does not change. The strategy has not changed one time in 2,000 years and will not until he comes back. So let me read it. I already preached the sermon. There we go. Matthew 28. And Jesus came to his disciples and said to them, here's the first thing, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, second thing, 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, third thing, I am with you always, forth, even to the end of the age. So the heart of our commitment to a value towards movement is the reality of the Great Commission. Jesus gave his believers, his followers, an assignment to walk out obedience to his mission in the earth. So every believer, this is really clear, every believer and every spiritual family is called to walk in obedience to the Great Commission in and through their lives. This is, I, I had a, uh, an amazing professor in seminary that he had this, um, this contract that he made us sign at the beginning of the class. And it essentially was like, hey, here are reasons that you can be exempt from the Great Commission. Number one is you're not breathing. Like, do you have breath, yes or no? Uh, that's, that was essentially the, the, uh, the reality of whether you are a part of this or not whether you're on the line for this or not, whether this is part of your vocation before Jesus or not, there is no exceptions. All of his followers, every one of us, has been given assignment to walk in in obedience to this. However, I do want to shape, this doesn't necessitate or mean that every single believer will go abroad. It's, it's part of why we don't have this as like mission as the value, right? We love international missions. We, we want to create a lot of place for what God's doing in and among the nations. We believe there is a remarkable outworking of people who are called by Jesus to leave the place where they are to go and declare his name where it isn't known. We believe that uh, wholeheartedly. And that doesn't mean that every person is called to that as their assignment. Some people, this assignment is fulfilled as they go about their day as they go about the place where God has put them, in their home and in their neighborhood and in their job, this is an assignment and a task for all of us. And if we only believe that it's for those who are called to sell everything and up and go across the waters to go tell people, and, and we think that that's the extent of the Great Commission, we're, we're gonna miss something. Every single one of us is called by Jesus to walk towards this. This also doesn't mean that we're necessarily, and I want to say this over and over again, because if we have a misunderstanding of the scope or the impact of this and how we expect it to happen, we will be discouraged sometimes along the way when it's not that. The goal isn't what's the scope and the impact and how big. The goal is faithfulness. Again, I'm going to say that maybe 10 times. The goal is faithfulness. Are we faithfully stepping towards this? Okay, so the potency of the Great Commission. Again, I'm gonna, uh, you'll, you'll hear this several times this morning. But it's built on two aspects of one assignment, right? The one assignment is what? Make disciples. That's the command. Go and make disciples. How do we go about that? 
Number one is through new conversion. We see baptizing in Jesus' name, right? Baptism in the New Testament is always the, the sign, the symbol, the signifier of leaving from one way of old life in coming into the family, right? It, it's the first act of obedience upon profession of faith. That's what baptism is. And so we see baptizing in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has to do with, it's implicitly baked in there, go and tell people who do not know about Jesus the reality of who he is. And as you do that, you'll see people come into the kingdom and the mark of their conversion will be demonstrated to all by baptism. So go and see those uh, brought into the family. They would bring new members into the family of God. And this, is, this happens through proclamation, through witness to the gospel. Look at the top of page two. The second reality that is as important to the Great Commission. Okay, so oftentimes people will look at one of the two aspects of the Great Commission and both of them are needed, right? So we'll oftentimes think the Great Commission is all about new conversion. It's all about evangelism. It's all about going out and telling the good news of Jesus to the, the, the farthest reaches, to people who do not know his name. And that is a essential, needed part of the Great Commission. But there is another element of it. It is teaching those who have come into the family how to walk in obedience to the commandments of Jesus. Jesus also instructs his disciples to shape the obedience. I think this is really important. Look at verse 19 again. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what's the second aspect of the Great Commission? Teach them to observe, right? He's talking about maturity, growing up in obedience to Jesus, to his commandments, our lives being conformed around what he desires, what he longs for, right? So we see these two aspects at play. So the vision of our church should include a picture of disciples who make disciples. So this fights against a lot of implicit values and processes that we've come to hold in the Western church, right? Many models of church are built only on or primarily on a come and see model of discipleship. However, we have to recognize that there is what you could call the priesthood of all believers, right? That seek to reorient how we live together as the family of God in our taking up the task of fulfilling the Great Commission, right? So we have this needed supplement that we as the people of God, not me here, but we as the family of God need to be activated to go and make disciples, right? That's an essential part of the Great Commission. However, look at letter E. This is a tension. To reorient our church around a desire for multiplicative discipleship, does not mean that we forsake the high value of gathering, right? So a lot of times people will go, well, the Western church is built on this like come and see model. And so let's 
get rid of that and just go spread out. Now, you see both realities in the New Testament, right? Because the gathering of the saints to worship, to pray, to take the sacraments together, to hear the word is one of the premier ways that God grows up the body into maturity. And so we need both. We need the activization, that's a, is that a word? Uh, Activation, there it is. The activation, it's easier than I made it. (laughs) We need the activation of every one of us to hold on to and take on to us. This is my commission, right? Jesus has spoken a word to me to go and make disciples. And in doing that, we still love the gathering of the saints where we come together to edify one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up. We see throughout the New Testament, the gathering is one of the primary ways that Jesus builds up his church, right? Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake the assembly. Why? Because we need to be encouraged and edified and built up along the way. Okay, so to hold fast to both of these tensions will require really great care and a lot of the grace of the Holy Spirit, right? We long to be a people who understand the need for the community of God and who are both committed to multiplication as well. Roman numeral four, Jesus is presently reigning through his church. So Jesus situates the great commission of his authority in his authority over all of creation. Okay, so this is just a really quick flyover. I can't go into much detail here. But Jesus, in his ministry, declared that God's kingdom was breaking into the world. Right, so when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying the rule and reign of God is crashing into this world. He's saying, uh, prepare yourself, turn away from the way you were going, repent and turn around because God's kingdom is breaking into the world. His resurrection demonstrated that he was the rightful king over all creation. Right, so we see uh, Jesus comes and he, he's bringing the kingdom to bear. This is what's happening with like healings and deliverance and Jesus's power made manifest. It's very clear that the uh, who's in charge is, is coming to a head. The kingdom of God is crashing in and principalities and powers and rulers of this world are being challenged and thrown out. And he's coming with his kingdom. And then he goes to the cross. He secures salvation and forgiveness. And then at his resurrection, it is very clear that Jesus is vindicated. And everything that he was proclaiming is validated and put a stamp on. And then God raises him up to the right hand of his power and says, this is now the king over all the earth. He has dominion. He's the one in charge. The New Testament authors then begin to understand that the primary way Jesus presently expresses his rule over the earth, his kingdom, is through the ministry of the church. 
Okay, now I'm going to make a statement. And again, this is one of those, I wish I had like six hours to unpack it with you. Um, I'm going to make the statement. I don't know how it's going to hit you. It may be a little bit offensive to you. There's a lot of confusion about this in the world. How do we make sense of this? I'm going to make this. This is my thesis. In this age, Jesus primarily reigns through his church, through spiritual ministry, through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This is how Jesus primarily establishes his kingdom in this age. If it's true that the primary way that Jesus expresses the kingdom in this age is through the spiritual ministry of the church, again, evangelism and making new disciples and the building up of the church, if this is true, we have to understand these two aspects and understand the essential need for the empowering presence or the anointing of the spirit to fulfill these. This is the main way that Jesus expresses his kingdom, right? Inviting others into the family, seeking to build the body up in maturity. Okay, number one, Jesus or the church expresses the kingdom reign of God first through faithful proclamation of the gospel in evangelism, right? In the context of the New Testament, now this is going to be this place where I'm going to weave in between the presence of Jesus with us and what we're to accomplish, right? Because I want you to see that there is no portrait in the New Testament where fulfillment of the Great Commission is separate from the life and power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. You cannot separate them. You cannot pull them apart. They are both needed as we move forward. So in the context of the New Testament, proclamation of the gospel was always to be done in partnership with demonstrations of the Spirit's power that give witness to the kingdom rule of Christ Jesus. All right, these these demonstrations bear witness to the reality that God's kingdom is victorious over the kingdom of darkness, right? This is how God puts on display and validates Jesus is the Lord. These realities show that the kingdom of of this world has been given over to the kingdom of Jesus our Lord, It is no longer the prince of the power of the air who is in charge. It's no longer the God of this present age. Jesus Christ is now the Lord and he is establishing his ways. Let me just read some of these to you. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called to him his 12 disciples. And what did he do? He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. And then he told them as you're going about, do these things and proclaim, hey, the kingdom is coming. This is the kingdom. It is being expressed here among you. Go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. After this, the Lord appointed 72. You might go, well, that's just the apostles, right? That's just the apostles. That was for this group at that time. Well, he gives it to 72 others. Here's 72 others. He sends them on ahead of him, two by two. What does he tell them to do? Same thing. Heal the sick. Heal the sick in the towns that you go to and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. 
Then the 72, they go out and they do it. I love this little scene. They go out, they do it, they come back and they are jazzed. They're jazzed. They're like rejoicing. They're like, Jesus, the demons were subjected to us in your name. This is crazy. And Jesus goes, hey, have joy that your names are written in my book. Have joy that your names are written in my book. It's going to get way more intense than this. Then 1 Corinthians. Paul goes, okay, this is how I came. I came to you with weakness and in fear and much trembling. How many of you all feel like that? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? We don't have to believe that Paul didn't. Right? Like all of a sudden, things got way easier. He goes, I came and guess what? You remember how I was among you guys? I was kind of like afraid, fear, trembling. What was, what was the point of that? My speech and my message were not like these well-crafted, plausible arguments. But when I proclaimed Jesus crucified, the Holy Spirit showed up. And he gave witness to the truth that I was proclaiming. And why did he do it that way? Why did he design it so that you feel much fear and trembling and that doesn't just go away and you're like this Superman that's like walking in and going, hey, all right, I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. Why does he allow you to remain still kind of like bottled up in fear and trembling and anxiety? Because he wants it not to be because you are the most well-spoken, eloquent, charismatic person. He wants the Spirit's power to give witness to the reality of who Jesus is so you can't take one drop of credit for it. So that you were like, whoa, 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 whoa. you used that? You used that? I kind of like burped my way through it. And then I, I prayed for them and I didn't think anything was gonna happen. And then the Holy Spirit moved in their heart. The only plausible explanation for what just happened was the Holy Spirit moved. That's what we need and what we long for. Paul goes on a little further in 1 Corinthians and he says, hey, I just want you to all remember something. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk. Now, he does not mean there that you don't speak a message. He's all the time saying, I, I, I told you things. I told you Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was proclaiming a message among you. So he's not saying it doesn't have any words, right? To give us to this, like, uh, always preach the gospel and use words when necessary. Like, that's, that's, that's a lie. Like, always proclaim the gospel. That's, that's what the gospel is. It's a message of good news. What he's saying is it isn't in getting someone to reason into it. Right? You can't reason someone into the kingdom of God. You can't logic them into it. How you know the kingdom of God has come near is the power of the Holy Spirit has moved among people and given witness to it. So this first aspect of the Great Commission, go, proclaim, give witness to the death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he alone is king and his kingdom is at hand. Welcome others into it. Tell them the, how they can participate in it. Tell them what they must do to be saved. And as you go, ask the Holy Spirit to demonstrate his power in and through your weakness, your clay pot that's broken and fragile, that the glory of God might shine forth as his glory. 
The second way the church expresses the kingdom reign of God in this world is through building up the church. This happens through ongoing faithful discipleship, teaching others to walk in obedience to Jesus' commandments, and in a specific way, is empowered through the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit among the body. Right? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. God gave gifts to his church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. There it is. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. How long do we do this? Until we all attain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and we walk in his maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is crazy, right? Earlier in, this, uh, in Ephesians, Paul says, hey, Jesus is the head of the church that is his fullness in the world. And you go, wait, 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 wait. The theological reality and my lived reality, there's a little bit of disparity between that. The fullness, right? Like, I know you, I know me. The fullness of, of Christ, the one that fills all in all. And he goes, hey, that's why we worked. That's why we equip each other to do ministry, to build us up to become what we are, to become in more reality what Jesus has already made us in himself, to become the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We see this also when Paul's speaking of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14. He says that the one that prophesies builds up the church, right? The gifts of the Spirit particularly are given for the building up and the edification of the body that we might more fully be what we already are. That's, that's the point of them, right? So why do we want to pursue them? Why do we want to run after them? Why does Paul say, make it your earnest desire to walk in these things? Because we want to grow up into the head and become more mature like him who is the fullness over all things. We want to be brought up into him. That's our desire. Look at the top of page three. So one thing that doesn't often get talked about, right? If these are the two aspects of the Great Commission, one of the essential aspects of fulfilling the Great Commission is understanding the relationship between the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the inbreaking of God's kingdom. I just want to demonstrate this a couple places for us. Jesus, we may not recognize this or remember this, right? We hear Matthew 28 and we go, okay, we hear it, let's run. But Jesus actually gave his disciples a prior commandment to the Great Commission. He gave the disciples the commission. He says, hey, I want you to go be my witnesses to all the ends of the earth. But I want you to do something first. And there is a model here that I think we don't often understand and we are a people who have received the spirit, like the spirit is alive in the church. So we aren't waiting for Pentecost like they were, but we'll, we'll see here again, even in the early church, there was this inward, outward, inward, outward reality 
of coming and receiving a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit so that they could fulfill the Great Commission. We see that again and again, but we see Jesus's first commandment to his apostles, his disciples, was to wait. Wait, 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 you told us to go. Go, we're, we're into going. Going feels important. Going feels effective. And then Jesus goes, I want you to go. Wait. Wait. Wait until you are endued with power from the Holy Spirit. Look at Luke 24. Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So on the day of Pentecost, God does this. He pours out his Spirit on his church to be the animating presence of his empowering life as they sought to fulfill the Great Commission. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So we see that God fulfills his promise, right? And so then we go, okay, well, he's fulfilled his promise. So we don't need to come back and wait any longer, right? And I'll go, okay, go to Acts chapter four. They go out, they start to see uh, mass in, in gathering of people into the kingdom. They're seeing miracles, they're seeing signs, they're seeing wonders. And then they get to this place where they come back in and they ask God to do more. The early church continually returned to the place of seeking greater infilling of God's presence in order to walk in obedience to the Great Commission. So look at this in Acts chapter four. Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. Right? So they're saying, God, would you infuse us with boldness that we might faithfully speak your word? Right? You've given us an assignment and we want to be obedient to it. We want to pursue it. Would you give us the empowering presence to go and do it while you stretch out your hand to heal? And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, God answered. That's the end of verse chapter four. God answered. How did he answer? The place where they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Right? So we see this coming in and this going out, this coming in, this going out, this coming in, going out. Why is it like that in the New Testament, right? Why does God set it up to where there has to be this like breathing reality? And I don't know if you remember me saying this a couple weeks ago, like one of the most difficult things that we're going to have to explore as a people as we pursue this is trying to hold in tension the value of both sides of the breathing, right? Do you want to be a good in-breather or a good out-breather? You want to be good at both, right? If you're good at one at the expense of the other, you die. No matter what, no matter which one you pick, right? We want to be a people that is seeking the face of God 
understanding that it's only in encountering the living God and being empowered and clothed with his power to go and fulfill his commission that we can go with any meaning, right? Like we can go with any kind of effectiveness, any kind of faithfulness requires that he breathe upon us and fill us with his Holy Spirit that we might be faithful witnesses in the world. Right? So we, we have to be a people that come in together and gather up and ask God to do what he promised, to fill us with power, to endue us with his strength and his glory. And then we have to set our face to be faithful, to be witnesses to him and to pursue discipleship in ways where we're calling others to walk in obedience. And we need the Holy Spirit's presence for both. Okay. Let me, uh, let me just make a couple quick applications and then, and then we'll move on. Hey, what I, what I want us to do together, first and foremost, is to begin to ask God. I, I want you to ask the Lord, what does faithfulness to this commission look like in my life? Hey, and, and what, I, what I'm missing, I want you to go and read it, this last Roman numeral is... Literally just me saying, uh, it's probably going to be smaller and harder and longer than you want it to be. Now, I'm, I, I, I'm a revival guy, right? Like, I pray for revival. I ask God to open the heavens and send his uh, the tangible presence in ways that are um, uniquely potent in a moment. But the normative way of God's uh, multiplication in this world is like leaven in bread. It's a patient ferment. It's, it's like a mustard seed that gets sown in the ground and is really small and it takes time to develop. Most of our obedience to the Great Commission is going to be slower and harder and longer and more um, like digging in dry dirt than we imagine it should be. And so we aren't calling uh, or we're not setting our our vision on success looks like whatever the number or the size or the momentum success looks like faithful obedience to whatever God has in front of us so begin asking God what is that in my life what are the one or two people or three people in my life right now either in the camp of Uh, unbelievers who need to have a faithful proclamation of the gospel into their life or those who are around me that are a step or two behind me and I can walk with them and call them into a greater measure of uh, obedience, teaching them to follow in Jesus's uh, footsteps and his commands. Begin to ask God what, who those are, who those are. He'll tell you. He will speak to you and he will show you. He will begin to show you where that is. Set your heart for faithfulness. Ask him to open your eyes and then ask him to empower you. Ask him to breathe into you the power that he alone can provide, right? We go way, 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 way back. Way back to our uh, Sermon on the Mount. What's the first value of the kingdom? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Where are you in a spot 
where you're looking at obedience to the Great Commission and you're going, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to produce what you're calling for in that person. That's a good place to be because that's the place where you get to ask the Lord to provide for you all that you cannot be in that spot. Okay, that's the first application. Second, if you're looking for places, right? We had a great announcement this morning as to places that we're trying to create some partnerships, even in our city, to give on-ramps and grow our culture of outreach among our body, right? Go out right after the service. We've got tables out there, people that you can meet, uh, relationships that you can build right away, that we can, there's real avenues where you're going like, man, I don't even know in my life where to take steps. Uh, We're trying to create some easy on-ramps for that. So we've got all that information out there this morning. The second uh, place that you could also look is we, we have this wonderful missions interest group. Uh, so if you're, if you're on church center, go on and under groups, we have a missions interest group. If you're interested in how are we laboring toward growing in international missions or you're grap- grappling personally with a call, it's a great community of believers that is beginning to look at what partnership with our current missionaries looks like, as well as what does it look like for you to grapple with a calling if, if you're sensing God stir you to move and and go be a missionary in in an international context. Okay, and then the last one that I've got. I was wondering what that was, sorry. Caught me off guard. Uh, And this is not just my soapbox. You guys are gonna laugh. You're gonna be like, this is about missions uh, or movement. Hey, come on Wednesday nights. I'm just going to say it and 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 say it. The reason is this. If part of our church life together is breathing in and asking God to fulfill his purposes in our church and in our city, and then seeing him empower us to go and be his witnesses in the world, both of those realities are, are inextricably tied together. You cannot have one without the other. And so the place where we're doing that as a spiritual family right now is on Wednesday nights, 6.30 downstairs in the chapel. We're having a really great time. Uh, God's, God's really pleased with it. It's really, um, it's, it's not super impressive. I love it. I love it. It's like we're learning things together. It's like kind of little, kind of rough. It's like, but God loves it. God really loves it. And I love being there. And I want to encourage you, if you're going, okay, as part of this family, what does it look like even to pursue obedience to what Jesus has laid out here? One of the ways that we are doing that explicitly together is to gather and ask God to do what he's promised both in our church and in our city and, and, and raise us up to build us up as the church and to send us out into places where we can give witness to his glory and the gospel of Jesus in all the earth. Amen and amen. Would you stand?